It's time to go under the hood with the Indy Fuel. And welcome to another edition of Under the Hood with the Indy Fuel. I am the broadcast voice of the Fuel, Andrew Smith. And with me is my broadcast partner, Nick Olchek. It's good to have the band back together, socially distanced a couple hundred miles apart. But uh, it's great to have you uh, with us, Nick. And what have, uh, what have the last couple of weeks been like since the season has ended for you uh, back up at home in uh, the Chicago area? Yeah, well, first of all, Andrew, it's uh, great to be back with you. Uh, uh, obviously, the, the circumstances that uh, it's under are a little, uh, you know, pretty saddening. And it's really tough to see what's going on in the world right now with uh, with the coronavirus and whatnot. But uh, like we said, uh, hopefully this is something that we can help keep our fans entertained uh, during these uh, unprecedented times and amidst these times where we, we have to, you know, do that social distancing and I'd say we're maintaining the six feet or a little bit more by a couple hundred miles, as you said. But um, as far as here at the Old Trek household and the suburbs of Chicago, we've just been kind of biding our time. And I, I would be you know, pressed to say that I haven't twiddled my thumbs a lot uh, lately and trying to, uh, you know, keep up to date on the news coverage. And uh, I mean, I think NBC Sports Chicago, along with ESPN and, and a lot of other different stations have have run some past great games and sporting events and playoff series and Stanley cup championships on the NHL network. I mean, it's just been, you know, I think the content has been there uh, as far as being able to go back and relive. And, um, you know, also uh, along with working for the Indy fuel, working for NBC sports Chicago, they've done a great job of putting on some of the great Blackhawk games from that 2010 run. And I know that they're going to continue uh, to try and uh, bring back some of those great Blackhawk teams and those, those awesome games that we were able to witness back in the day. But um, you know, it's it trying to just find a good mix of, you know, some some video games here and there, watching a lot of sports, and uh, you know, I think the one thing that I've really taken this time uh, to do is to reach out to people that maybe I haven't talked to in a long time. Uh, you know, I think that that's something that's always been very important for me, uh, keeping in touch with friends, with family, and I mean, look, you're only going to have so many people that are so close to you that you're going to be able to talk to on a daily basis, but it's those people who maybe you haven't talked to in a couple of weeks or a month or a year or two years. And you're able to reach back out to, to those people and just check in, see how they're doing, wish them the best. And uh, so I guess uh, it's been a lot of everything, Andrew, and um, you know, things have been, uh, things have been good. Things have been really good. That's outstanding. It's been a good time to spend a little bit of extra time with family and getting in touch with people and uh, kind of rekindling uh, some old friendships. And so that's uh, that's a great thing uh, yeah. that we can take what's really a, a difficult situation and make it a positive. And uh, certainly those of us who are listening and uh, those of you who are listening and those of us as well, yeah, we're just trying to stay safe. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, and that's certainly a, kind of a, an important thing and, uh, thankfully, uh, healthy. So, um, yeah, yeah. You know, it's been about three weeks since, uh, the Indy Fuel played their last game. And we had kind of a sudden end of the season, kind of surreal, just because we saw it all kind of unfold in real time. I, just as the Fuel were finishing up their last game in Kalamazoo, we uh, were seeing the news that the NBA was canceling its season, that the NHL was probably going to the next day. And so, you know, it was kind of a big whirlwind. And I know for me, just getting closure on the season was kind of one of those things that was hanging out there that um, it's been certainly different because normally the end of a season, you know when the end is. And, uh, and with the ECHL season, we 
it just kind of happened very suddenly. But even with that sudden end of the year, it was really a fun year uh, for the Indy Fuel. And I know you, know, you and I had a, a lot of fun in the booth uh, calling the games. But how did you kind of process those 48 hours or 72 hours that uh, we go from watching a one nothing shutout in Kalamazoo to, well, this may not matter to the plugs been pulled on the year. Yeah, this was when I, when I say unprecedented, I mean, th- this situation, and I think I'm starting to really realize the far reaching effects that this uh, pandemic has had uh, on sports on life as we knew it, um, on the economy, um, and obviously, you, know, you can speak greatly to the the economics of this, Andrew. But I think because it came to such a quick halt, um, it just catches you off guard, and and you and you don't really have time or really know what to think. You know, for me, I, I was we were gearing up to 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 head back down to Indy that next weekend and getting ready for some huge games. Um, and then all of a sudden, I mean, that's just taken away from you and thrown in the blender and you don't really know what's going to happen next. So I think it's, it's the unknown that, that really caught me off guard. I mean, look, this, this was an unbelievable season that the Indy fuel had. Uh, they were playing well as of late. Uh, and I mean, you look in their last 10 games, they were only four or five and Oh, and one. Um, you know, only four four wins in the last ten games, but you know they were playing well. And in those six losses, I mean, they they were in those games. There was not, you know, I I can only think maybe Andrew to this year where there was maybe maybe two or three at most games where the fuel just didn't have it, and that speaks volumes to the ability of the coaching staff led by Doug Christensen, uh, led by the veterans in that locker room: Alex Krushelnitsky, Craig Wismierski, Joe Sullivan. The list goes on and on. They were in each and every game, uh, and, and we'll kind of delve into the goaltending, the special teams, other things that helped play into that. Um, but you know, getting back to your original question, it just it, it hits you hard because you, you realize how much you really love sports and how important they are to you. Uh, but then, when you see what's really going on in the world, uh, you see how small that really you know pales in comparison to health and, and making sure that everybody's staying safe. But I just th- I think for me, it was just, um, okay, here's your life. We're going to take it away from you for a little while and, and <laughs> go sit in time out. I think that's kind of the best way that, that I put it. Yeah, it was just kind of surreal there for uh, a week or two just to understand the magnitude of what's going on. And what uh, I remember was – the day before what turned out to be our last home game uh, was the uh, – uh, actually, it was the day of our last home game. Yeah. And the words uh, – the story was coming out, the reports were coming out that the first case in Indiana uh, had been presented to mm-hmm. the same hospital I was driving to uh, yeah. for an appointment that day. And then suddenly – Things happen so quickly and, uh, and, you know, happen so quickly. And certainly, you know, the focus both, uh, you know, in the sports world and everything else has to be, uh, with our health and, um, and with the collective health of, of everybody. And this is something that hasn't really happened in the States, in North America and in the hockey world in 101 years. You've got mm-hmm. to look back to 1919, uh, when the, uh, an influenza epidemic, called off the Stanley Cup final and uh, mm-hmm. 
to think about that we're kind of in some really unprecedented times is pretty, uh, um, yeah, it's pretty interesting for sure. But right, right. You know, and, and I would, I would also, I would also say that you know, p- people are, you know, people would say that you know, we got to keep the athletes safe, and 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 God forbid the athletes get sick. But I think even more so, you know, when you're talking about NHL games, you're talking about NBA games talk about soccer games over in Europe. I mean, you're packing 20, 30, 40, 50,000 people in a stadium. Like it's the fans that are at the most risk and the concession yeah. workers and the janitors and the parking lot attendants. I mean, those people are equally as important, of course, uh, and, and equally as vulnerable to getting sick as well, or being a carrier of the virus. So, you know, I thought the second the NBA made that decision, I knew that. And I, and I would also say, I think that sports calling off their seasons, postponing their seasons, or in the case of the the SPHL and the ECHL and other leagues, other junior leagues and, and college leagues as well, the fact that they put their seasons on hold or canceled, I think that really sent the biggest shockwave through um, through the country and, and let people know that, hey, yeah, this is a pretty serious thing. And this is something that is going to impact each and every person. So for how much sports are heralded in this country and in times of need or in times of tragedy, sports were there for us. Now the fact that sports are postponed or sports have been canceled, I think that that really shows everybody that, Hey, this is something that we need to take very seriously. So I commend the NBA and all the other professional leagues, you know, of course the NHL as well for deciding to do that. And, you know, not just to look out for everybody, but I think, also to say, hey, yeah, these are pretty uh, high revenue places and, and we're going to shut them down for the meantime, just so that way we can make sure we're in about everybody's health. Yeah, you look back here at the Indy Fuel season that we had a front row seat for for uh, all the home games this year. And there were just so many good things that happened. This was a team that Doug Christensen had to basically completely rebuild the roster. The only full-time player from last year that returned was Alex Brooks. So you've got a completely new roster coming in and you could tell it took some time to build, but once this team came together, it was uh, a lot of fun uh, to watch. But what were some of the highlights uh, for the season for you? And maybe put, uh, put the year in your own words a little bit. I would say that when I think about this team, you know, it was full of leadership. You had plenty of guys who were captains, who were assistant captains, who were leaders on their prior teams, whether that be in college or junior or or professionally before the Indy Fuel. Um, so it wasn't just the guys that wore the C and wore the A's that were the quote unquote leaders. I mean, you, you had a room full of guys who not only could pick guys up when things went tough or could battle through adversity, but guys that when maybe player X didn't have his legs and player Y would go out there um, and work a little bit extra hard. And so that's contagious. That work ethic is contagious. The, okay, guys, if you don't have it, I got it. I'm going to drag you into the fight. And they had plenty of those kind of guys. They had guys that have been there and done it. But for me, it's it's really two things this year that really stood out to me, and, and it's, it all starts with Spencer Watson. I mean, I mean, he was the the offensive igniter, 
amongst a lot of great offensive players that the Indy Fuel had. Think of Bobby McIntyre. Uh, Darian Plouffe really started to come into his own offensively as the year went along as he started to get some more confidence. Alex Krushoniski, uh, you know, is certainly put into that group as well, although he battled some injuries there in the second half of the season. Um, but as the as Spencer Watson went, so did the Indy Fuel. And, you know, I just have such fond memories of him on the power play, the right flank, his non-one-timer side. You had him on one side. You had Keone Texera sandwiched right in the middle between Spencer Watson and then Bobby McIntyre, who was on the left flank. And how many times did those guys go right through the seam to make a beautiful pass, either to McIntyre or from McIntyre to Spencer Watson? He would cruise right in and let a shot go top glove side, uh, short side, top shelf. I mean, I think it was just the the skill and the ability but also aside from that for Spencer Watson, I mean, there's so much more to his game. I mean, how many times did he back check and break up a play or get a puck out of his own zone? I mean, as complete of a player as you can find. And oh, by the way, he had some grit too, because if you, if you slashed him or if you, if, if you finished your check a little late, he was going to give it back to you. Um, so I think it's just the, the, the total year that, that Spencer Watson had. Um, and, and then also I look to a, a move that Doug Christensen made um, about halfway through the season to acquire Cliff Watson and Ryan Van Strahlen from Kansas City in exchange for Sam Kirker and Matt Schmalz, who when they were here, Schmalz and Kirker, they did a nice job. Um, you know, I remember the, the first game that the Indy Fuel acquired uh, Matt Schmalz. Uh, you know, he had a heck of a game and he had some real good games uh, while he was in the Indy Fuel, but you had to make a trade. And you bring in a guy like Cliff Watson, who is a leader. He's won at this level. Um, I think his offensive game really surprised me pleasantly in a great way. Not only was he an elite defenseman, and a guy who not only defended with his stick and with his mind, but with his body. Um, and he really proved to be an impact player, both penalty kill, even strength, and on the power play. And then you bring in Ryan Van Strahlen, who, I mean, he's just a beast of a guy. And anytime I was in and around the locker room, I mean, he's just a guy he walks by and you're just, you're kind of taken back by how big and, uh, and, uh, and how strong he is. And that, that mean beard he's got going too certainly works to his advantage as far as the intimidation goes. But, I think the year that Spencer Watson had and what he meant to this team, along with that that great trade that really allowed the fuel to solidify their back end and also bring in a guy like Van Strong, who's going to be that offensive producer, especially on the power play. Well, and you look at that Spencer Watson, Darian Plouffe, Bobby McIntyre line that you referenced, those three guys fit together so well because yeah. Watson could be a three-zone player, but you knew that when he and McIntyre were on the ice together – something spectacular could happen uh, because of Watson's ability to finish and McIntyre's speed and the ability to set up plays and make plays. But Darian Plouffe just complimented those guys so well because he's that Swiss Army knife three-zone player you have to have that can do so much that because of the fact that he could do a lot of the dirty work, uh, for lack of a better term, that could allow those guys to really – um, kind of spread their wings, and those three especially complemented each other well. But the, the other thing I liked about this team was its depth. You had three lines that uh, could really uh, – all of them could score. All of them had 20-goal score-type players on them. And you mentioned Van Strahlen and another guy we'll probably talk about here in a minute, Alex Router. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you had a, a three-line team I think was setting this team up really well going into – what we were hoping to be a long postseason run, but uh, certainly uh, I think led to a lot of their success, especially the second half of the season. Yeah, they did. And 
that is such a luxury for a coach to have to have three lines that you trust. And that's the word that jumps out to me um, because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what level it is, if it's the national hockey league or if it's college or junior, the one thing a coach needs to have in a player to put him out there in a pivotal situation, whether it be an offensive zone faceoff late in the game, a defensive zone faceoff late in the game, power play, you need to win a faceoff or you need to get a goal. If a player, if a coach trusts the player in a certain situation, he's going to put you out there. And there's not a lot of teams where a coach can trust 80% of his guys. But I think Doug Christensen had that luxury this year. Um, And that is because of the system that that Doug put in. Uh, It's because of the structure that the Indy Fuel played with, with their forecheck, playing fast, using their speed to their advantage, not being slowed up by other teams and the physicality that other teams try to use against them. Um, but, you know, I just, it's the team and the way in which the team played game in and game out. And to know that, hey, we don't have to ride this one line, so to speak. I mean, that that was the, that was the abilities, that you didn't have to put Spencer Watson and Bobby McIntyre and Darian Plouffe out there all the time. Like there were other lines that could score. There were other lines that could defend. And oh yeah, your best offensive line, which are those guys who who, who we just mentioned, were one of your really good defensive lines as well. And so it's that buy-in, it's that commitment, it's the it's the accepting of okay, we understand that we need to be really good in our own end. We need to be really good in the defensive end. So that way we spend less time in there and we can spend more time having fun and playing offense. Because again, I don't care who you are, what level you're playing at. It's way more fun to play offense than it is to play defense. It's so much more taxing um, playing in your own end, playing on your heels, trying to defend and block shots and, and stay with your man in the defensive zone. So I think it was just, you know, talking about your point, Andrew, as far as depth goes, but as a coach, to know that it doesn't matter what line you put out there, they're going to produce with what you need them to do. Uh, that is a, a great feeling. And it was something that, got even better as the season went along and again just another reason why uh just so upsetting the way the season had to end because i think that this team could have done something really really great come the playoff round. one thing just dovetailing off the point you made about players accepting their roles look at a guy like michael doherty he's been a 20 goal scorer in the echl but he was a penalty killing ace checking line guy somebody that needed to take on that role. He and Joe Sullivan so good on the penalty kill this year and so good together on what essentially became the fuels checking line. But here's somebody and really two guys that can be scorers when they need to be, but they can also shift into that, uh, that four checking role, that penalty killing role and accept that. And maybe sacrifice a little bit of individual glory for the success of the team. Definitely. Definitely. And and that's something where you have to check your ego at the door. Um, And again, it takes, it takes a high character person to do that. Um, You know, I I, I think of a player who was with the Chicago Blackhawks for a couple Stanley cups. That was Marcus Kruger. When he was playing over in Sweden, he was more of an offensive type of player. He was a, scorer and offensive creator I mean he was really good defensively but he kind of you know, he certainly put up more numbers over there because he was trusted in more offensive situations then when he comes to the Blackhawks you know he is thrust into that fourth line win face-offs 
kill penalties, be reliable in your own zone. And Joel Quinville trusted him for that. And he was arguably one of the best defensive centers and penalty killers that the Blackhawks have had through this great run that they've had over, you know, in that three Stanley Cups in six years, the period that they had. Um, it's it's tough because, well, you know, sure, as like Michael Doherty, as you said, he was an offensive producer and it's fun to score goals. And sometimes it's not always fun, as I said earlier, to play defense. But um, you know, he did an outstanding job. Same could be said for, for Joe Sullivan. And both those guys came up with some big goals this year. Uh, just adding to the uh, to what they brought to the Indy Fuel and the versatility that they had game in and game out. There was a point you made mid-season that has always kind of stuck with me is that when we look at this team, Doug Christensen constantly was making moves to make it better, but improved the team without subtracting from the core. That the core of players that started the year largely stayed together, had a few guys called up to Rockford, but when deals were made to bring in Alex Router from Rapid City or to bring in Matthew Fogut from Greenville or the aforementioned Watson Van Strahlen trade from Kansas City made the team better without having to give up key pieces. And I think that was a big thing that led to their second half success. It was really incredible. The craftsmanship that Doug Christensen had with the trades that he made, um, you know, to get a guy like Cliff Watson and Ryan Van Strahlen, who proved to be not just impact players, but game breakers for the Indy Fuel since they were acquired. I mean, looking back, like you probably have to trade in, in another world, or if you're not Doug Christensen, you might have to trade one of your best players. You might have to trade a Keone Teixeira or, or maybe put Bobby McIntyre in that deal to be able to get those guys. Uh, no disrespect to Sam Kirker and Matt Smalls, who are great players in their own right, but uh, there were a lot of deals that Doug made that um, had future considerations attached to it. Think of the of the Matthew Fogut deal, who came over from Greenville, uh, and and he proved to be a, a a wonderful player, highly skilled, made plays off the rush, made things happen when seemingly there was no play to be made. But the deals in which Doug made, um, he didn't take away from the decor. He didn't take away from the core group offensively that were the guys that not only went out there and were good players, but good people. And I think that that's another dovetail. It's another realm to the way in which the culture has been ingrained in the Indy Fuel by Doug Christensen is that, yeah, we're, we're going to bring in good players. But first and foremost, we're going to bring in great people. Um, as a former hockey player myself, as a employee of of what i do of society you know you want to work with good people you could be great at your job but if you're not a nice person you disrespect others and you're in it for your own benefit uh, you know the company is going to suffer uh, and the people around you aren't going to want to be around you and that's going to create um, you know a cancerous effect amongst the team but there was not one guy that wasn't loved on this indie fuel team um so uh, again it's the not giving up anybody from your core, the likes of Watson and McIntyre and think about the goaltenders issue who were just tremendous, but it's also bringing in really, really great people. Um, and that's doing your research It's doing your scouting. It's asking coaches and players around the league. Hey, I'm thinking about trading for this guy. What is he like? Not just on the ice, because we can see that through film. What is he like in the locker room? What's he like at home? 
What's he like on the road in the buses? So those are all the things that you have to take into consideration. And there's no doubt to me that Doug Christensen pulled off some incredible trades and really ones that paid off as the season went along. Well, and I think that goes to culture. And you can see there's been a culture built with this team over the year. And it seems like it has kind of been around a lot longer than that because of the fact that it just seemed like a good group of people. And there was something I asked Doug about that because there were so many captains and so many alternate captains from college or junior teams on the roster this year. And he said, oh, that's by design. There is a reason why so many of our guys had been captains um, or alternate captains. You know, one of them, Connor McDonald, was uh, your captain in Chicago in the USHL. But that we want to bring in not just good hockey players, but high character guys because they want to play with each other and they want to be part of it. And one thing you and I both noticed talking to the guys is how much they enjoyed playing together and how much they enjoyed being a part of the room. And that certainly has to be a good foundation as we look forward to the future of this franchise and look forward now to the 2020, 21 season and beyond that if you're a free agent, you want to come to a good atmosphere, a a good culture, and you can fit into that. Indy's a place you want to be, or at least is going to be on your short list of teams to look at this summer. That's a, that's a really great point, Andrew. Um, Players want to play where it's a situation in which they can not only succeed, not only get better, but have fun. Because at the end of the day, hockey is fun. Now, is it fun when you lose seven in a row by one goal? Probably not. Uh, looking back on that tough stretch that the, the Indy Fuel had. But the great thing about the game of hockey is there's so many tr- there's so many amazing people within the game. Coaches, players, staff fans, arenas. I mean, there's just so many great people in the game of hockey. And um, I, I, for me, I, I think it, it, it goes even above the players and the coaches. I think it starts with the ownership. It starts with Jim Hallett, starts with Larry McQuarrie, and everybody that helps run the organization from them to the arena staff to the uh, parking lot attendants, to the off-ice officials, who is a great bunch of guys, um, uh, to the players, to the coaches, you know, and then obviously us, Andrew, who, you know, we're trying to get the point across each and every night and and let the people know what's going on. But um, like I said, I, I think that the culture that has been ingrained, and now I can't speak to what it was like before last year because this was my first year. Um, but you've been around the team and, and you've been able to see through past coaches uh, and players that you know, this has always been an organization um, since it was taken over by Jim Hallett, that we're going to bring in the best people possible uh, that are great people that are high character individuals, as you said, and that's going to lead to success. Is it going to lead to success right now or tomorrow? Maybe not. But it will lead to success and it will lead to great things later on down the road, whether that's a week from now or a month from now or two years from now. Eventually, that's going to pay off. And, um, you know, just such a high class and and first class uh, organization, uh, of course, spearheaded by the Chicago Blackhawks. Well, we'll take a couple more looks at this team. But one thing you mentioned uh, a little while ago, the goaltending on this team, Charles Williams was outstanding. Dan Bakula came in and 
did a tremendous job very rapidly adjusting from the European style game and the wider ice and the different angles to the North American game and had a couple of big wins in Toledo early in his time with a fuel. And then Chase Marchand had to overcome an injury and he is somebody that's the Blackhawks have uh, really been high on over the past couple of years and signed him out of college last year. But that was a pretty good trio that if you're going to have success, it's got to start from the net out. And when you've got essentially three number one goaltenders that you can count on, that's a nice luxury. A lot of teams at this level don't have. The one thing that you can ask of your goaltender each and every night for every game, all 72 games is, Hey goalie, give us a chance to win. That's the only thing you can ask of your goaltender. It's the only thing that you can request. Now, the Indy Fuel happen to have some guys who have the ability to steal games and win the proverbial goalie win, the goalie game in which the goaltender stands on his head when you really had no chance to be in the game and you end up winning, whether that be a 40 or 50 save shutout or whatever it might be. Um, but that was, for me, the one thing that uh, was – Amongst the many consistent things that the fuel had, good offense all year, strong on the back end, dependable and predictable within the team, knowing what other guys were going to do, the goaltending was the it factor. It was the catalyst, and it was the thing that allowed the Indy Fuel to have success all year. And uh, some unbelievable saves that we think back to, but I think the overarching theme for me was it's not just the great stats that they put up, not just the good numbers, but it's the fact that they gave their team a chance to win each and every night. And it didn't matter who was in the net. On a lot of teams, you have your starting goaltender and then you have your backup, right? And so when your starter's in the net and you're going into that game knowing that your number one goalie's in there, you're going to play a little bit more aggressive. You're going to play on your toes because, well, if you make a mistake or you turn over the puck because you're trying to be – a little bit more offensive than anything else, you know that your goaltender's back there. He's going to backstop you. And if there's a two-on-one the other way or a breakaway the other way because of the turnover that you made, you have confidence and faith and belief that he's going to be able to make that save. Now, for most teams, when your backup is in there, it's a little bit of a different story because, well, you're going to be a little bit more hesitant. Oh, well, you know, geez, he's not as good. So, you know, I'm going to retreat more and I'm going to sit on my heels more and I'm going to try and play a little bit more defensive because I don't want to give up anything. That's not the way that the NDC will play. They want to play straight ahead north, use their skill, spend less time in their own zone, more time in the offensive zone. But the mentality of that quote-unquote backup goaltender that I just described, I mean, that was not here at all throughout the season. It was always that, oh, this is our guy. This is our number one guy. doesn't matter if it's if it's Williams or Marshawn or Dan Bacala. Uh, each of these guys is a great goaltender. They're going to give us a chance to win. And so that's going to allow us to be confident and play the way that we want to play, which is, as I said, fast and aggressive um, in, in the way that Doug Christensen wants his team to play. What are some of the memorable moments you've had from this season, some things that really stood out to you? I think I would say just the fact that how many players scored their first goal uh, in their first game at the Indiana Farmers Coliseum in Indianapolis. Um, you know, I think back to uh, – remember when Mikhail Hakkarainen joined the team? You had Matt Schmalz. You had Alex Rotter. They were all on the same line. 
And it was that first period where I can't remember exactly the game in which it was, but um, they were all on the same line. They, they, all the new guys started on the same line together. They were thrust into that first line role. They had an incredible first period. They were flying up and down the ice and they had chances. And that, that, that line together, I think combined maybe had eight or nine shots. And, and I remember saying on the broadcast, I said, if these guys continue to, if, if Doug Christensen keeps these guys together, they will score tonight. Uh, and then I believe Mikhail Hakkarainen scored, Matt Small scored. So, uh, and then you think back to Joe Sullivan scoring in his first game at home. Uh, Connor McDonald did it as well. And, and it's just this, anytime a new player came around, whether it be Matthew Fogate or Christian Horn, you just kind of had this, this butterfly feeling going into the game that, Oh, wow. I mean, you've already had five or six guys score in their first game at home. Maybe this guy's going to do it. And so that allowed, you know, made our job a little easier, Andrews, knowing that, hey, we, we got a storyline going into this game because look at the past players that have done this. But um, and, and that goes hand in hand, I think, for me, with, with the great crowds and the great fans and the great audience and atmosphere that the Indy Fuel fans put on for the players. Because not only did it make it an exciting environment for the players to play in, because they knew every time the puck was on their stick, people were going to be clapping and cheering and loud. But for the opposition it was really tough because well, when they had the puck, there was no sound or, or, or there were booze and it's just made it a really tough environment to come in and play. in. so I think uh, the, the mixture of, you know, players scoring their first goal in their first game at home, along with just the great audiences and the great atmosphere that the Indy fuel fans created each and every game. That was the thing for me. There's a few games that stand out. I think one was late in the year, the last win of the season at home when they played wheeling and, uh, Tim Soderlund had his coming out party with two goals and two assists that night. And it seemed like as close to a perfect hockey game as you'll see at this level. But I'd like to echo that point you made just being at the rink every night because the atmosphere was so good, especially on those Saturday nights in January and February and in early March when you had a near sellout crowd, the place was nearly packed and just how much of a buzz there was in the building each and every night uh, and how much the fans really got into it and made that, things a lot of fun. Yeah. That to me is a, uh, I think a big thank you goes to the arena staff, um, the marketing staff, the arena operations staff, being able to put on a great show, before the game, during the game, I mean, you got Scott Allen screaming at the top of his lungs uh, on the uh, on the big intercom there, and, and, and getting the people into it. Uh, I think still when I go to bed, Andrew, I, I said, "Let's go, fuel!" Oh, that was my best Scott Allen impression. But nonetheless, ho- hopefully he doesn't mind that big blackjack player is Scott. But uh, Scott, nonetheless, love it. nonetheless, it's uh, the, the atmosphere not only by the by the fans as we've talked about, but it's also the staff. You know, think about when the players were coming onto the ice and you got the fire, the flames shooting up into the air. I mean, we can feel that. We're, we're probably 100 feet away. We can feel that up in the booth. Um, so uh, it's just it's a fun place to go, whether you're a family, whether you're a couple or just a hockey fan. Uh, the entirety of the NHL organization, from players to ownership to game day staff and everywhere in between, they know how to put on a show and make it an exciting place not only for us broadcasters to be, but especially for the fans and players. Well, let's get a little bit uh, personal. A year ago, you had uh, 
just finished up your last college hockey season and were planning to pursue a career in broadcasting. And uh, what has that transition been like for you now that we're a season into what I expect will be a very long and successful career for you? I appreciate that, Andrew. Thank you very much. And um, I think I always knew that this is what I wanted to do. Um, I always knew that there was more that I could do with my brain and my voice than I could ever do with my hands and feet. Essentially meaning that, well, I think I was meant to be a broadcaster more so than a hockey player. I think putting it, you know, putting it, uh, um, you know, pretty frank. Um, and, and that's something that, that, that took a little while to accept because I started playing when I was four or five, um, started skating when I was a little bit younger than that um, and, and coming out of the womb, essentially with a hockey stick in my hands, as my mom likes to say, um, you know, the, the game of hockey was something that was very much a part of my life since, since the day I was born. And I loved playing the game. I love everything about the game. But again, I think the ability to explain why, right. And, and I think one of the best lessons and bits of advice I've ever received. And this came from, from my father saying as a broadcaster, you're there to tell the story, not be the story. And I think that that's something that really shook me to the core. And, you know, it's not about you, you know, you're, you're there to tell why and to explain why and make it entertaining and make it exciting, even more exciting than what it already is. But just the, the fascination for me with being able to break down complex things that happen, whether it be a forecheck or on a goal, what happened 30 seconds earlier in the defensive zone that allowed that team to get out of the zone into the offensive zone and score to break down complex things uh, so that even a novice hockey fan or even a very experienced hockey fan could maybe take another look at it and go, oh, I'd never really thought about it that way. Or, oh, yeah, that did happen. I remember that now. And so we're, we're sort of the aid to the fans. And that's something that was very exciting for me. And, uh, you know, I've, I've told a lot of people this. is that I, I played a good amount of video games growing up, but I think it was aside from just playing, um, I would broadcast as I played. Um, and, and looking back, I think it was that it's this innate practice of talking and speaking and being excited about something. And, and, and like I said earlier, breaking down um, things that maybe the normal eye or the novice eye would not see or would not think of. And that's very exciting to me. And that's something for me that, that I'm most passionate about uh, in being able to make the game a little bit more exciting for the fans at home that are watching or listening. Uh, or And, and uh, you know, lastly, as far as, you know, my broadcasting career and, and you know, what I want to do is you know, each and every broadcast, I have two goals, or I guess three goals. One is, I want people to learn something by the end of the game. I want them to have come away with some sort of nugget or new point of knowledge that, you know what? Yeah. I remember when Nick said that, I remember when Andrew and Nick talked about that. Uh, so I want, I want them to have learned something or I want them to be, you know, to have been entertained because this is the entertainment business. Um, and, and you want to be exciting. There's nothing worse than, than watching people describe sports who are monotone and, um, you know, aren't really explaining why and are just kind of telling, you know, you, you need to explain 
and show the people what's going on. And so, you know, third, third is do both, you know, entertain and teach. And so I think that if I can do both of those things, that was a successful broadcast. Um, but uh, long winded, I think I've always known that this is what I wanted to do. And like I said, I, I had uh, a wonderful career in terms of making some amazing friends and, and having some relationships that I hold very near and dear to my heart. My, my best friend I started playing hockey with uh, when I was younger, Joey, and then he was, we're still, you know, as tight as can be now. And, and that's something that I hold very you know near and dear to my heart and some coaches that I look back on that I had and trainers. So, you know, the game of hockey has really given me and my family everything that we had. And so now I'm trying to repay the game uh, to, to help people understand essentially why things happen uh, throughout the course of a game. How much fun do you have in the booth or in your other job as a uh, as an associate producer on the Blackhawks television broadcast where you get a chance to look at the broadcast from a little bit more of a behind the scenes perspective? Yeah. So essentially uh, to kind of give people a little bit of an inside uh, look as to what I do there. So, um, you know, I'm working pretty much directly with the likes of Adam Burrish and Patrick Sharp and Jamal Mayers and Steve Connery. I mean, just some Blackhawk legends who. You know, I grew up watching and idolizing, and Patrick Sharp was one of my very favorite players, and I tried to you know, model some of my game a- a- after him. But um, you know, to be able to work with those guys directly has just been an incredible experience, um, and I'm very, very thankful for Kevin Cross and Kevin Anderson and John Shipman and everybody there at NBC Sports Chicago who, who gave me the opportunity to go in and be a part of it. And essentially what I do specifically is I work with a software that you know, has the game fed into the computer software. And when a goal happens or a play happens that I think, uh, you know, there's something there to teach. So I will go into the software. I can, uh, I can clip it off. So I'll have the play, you know, 30, 40, 50 second clip. Um, and then I'll add different graphics, name plates, arrows, um, spotlights to highlight players or player trackers to kind of keep your eye on a specific player to watch out for. Um, so that system's called Libero, um, and essentially Libero is is you know like I said the software that I work in, and um, so essentially I will put the graphics on that play, and I will then send that to the analysts that we have for that night. Um, so whether like I said whether that's Jamal Mayers or Patrick Sharp or, or Steve Gonroyd or Adam Burrish or, or the likes, uh, they will see it beforehand, and then they will cover that on the air. Uh, as they do their pregame or intermission reports or postgame show. Um, and also you know, the, the great host, Pat Boyle, does, does an amazing job there as well. And those guys have, have been so kind and so generous to, to give me a couple of shout-outs uh, on TV. And, and it's, just been, it's just been an awesome experience. But uh, to have been given the opportunity uh, to do that has been um, just a wonderful experience. And Hopefully, if we can get this NHL season finished, hopefully there's a few more games that uh, that I'll be able to do. Yeah, looking forward to hopefully restarting the NHL season this summer and uh, getting a, a few more games in uh, and a little bit more hockey here as uh, as time goes on as the ECHL season is done, but the AHL and NHL season is currently on pause. And hopefully uh, things will subside to the point where we can get uh, the hockey season started again. But off the ice, maybe some things beyond what we saw uh, between the boards. Were there one or two things that stood out to you this season as real highlights to, for you? It's it's a guy that we've touched on a lot 
and rightly so. Um, but it's 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 Doug Christensen for me. Um, you will not hear one negative thing about him in the locker room, uh, in the media, when you ask around the hockey world. Uh, he is the definition of a player's coach. And anytime I had the ability to do a couple interviews with him or talk with him, whether that be after a win or a loss, he, he was always such a stand-up person and, and somebody that you wanted to be around. And you can't say that for a lot of coaches. You know, I, I don't think I would say most coaches, but there's a lot of coaches out there that you really don't want to be around until and unless you have to be. But he's one of those guys that you respect, you want to play for, he makes you better. And, and I could say the same as a broadcaster. I mean, I, I, anytime I had the privilege to go and interview him, I knew that I wanted to bring my A game. So that way I can give him thoughtful questions. I can ask him, um, you know, things that maybe would make him think a little differently or, or get an answer that can really help, you know, bring the people inside of what he's thinking. And so it's this, confidence that he has along with his coaching ability and I, and I talked to a lot of the players this year um, and he is the type of coach or think about it in the real world the type of boss that you want to perform well for day in and day out whether it's a busy day or not whether it's a game day or not a practice a workout it doesn't matter and it's because of the standards that he set the people that he brought in and so my dealings with him um, were, were just incredible. And, and he's, a, he's the type of guy who you want to hold close because not only is he a great coach, but a, a really great person. I can echo that. Uh, absolutely. Uh, working with Coach Doug this year has just been fantastic. And looking forward to doing a lot more of that as the years go on. And he is, from our perspective, always had time for us to explain things, to uh, have some words just on the air. Obviously, before every game, he talked to either one of us, uh, but off air as well, just helping explain how things are working, uh, how things are being put together. And uh, he was uh, more than, um, it's kind of hard to put into words, but you can see a very strong human side as well. He cares about his players but not just as players, you and me, the staff as well as people. And we're not just coworkers, but uh, we're part of the same family. And you can see that. And again, when that starts at the top, it trickles all the way down through the organization. And uh, working with uh, with Coach Doug Christensen this year was uh, just fantastic. And looking forward to a lot more of that as time goes on. And I think a couple of other highlights for me. Um, and I want to thank uh, Jeff Neidlinger and Larry McQuarrie and the uh, front office staff for this as well. But some of the the big nights we had, obviously Blackhawks nights, always a highlight. Yep. But uh, um, some of the guests we had come to the booth. Jim Cornelison came and visited us several times this season, and uh, uh, having your father come visit us uh, was a real highlight of the year. Uh, Dave Boland stopping by and chatting with us uh, prior to a game late in the season. But the things we do, um, obviously having those guys come join us, but the things we do as a franchise to help our fans 
see that connection between the Indy Fuel and the Chicago Blackhawks and the importance of that connection and how important the Hawks are to what we're doing here in Indy. And obviously we've seen Colin Delia come up and play with the Hawks. And I think we're going to see a few more fuel players matriculate up through the organization as the years go on. But, uh, but that was a real highlight as well as uh, just again, seeing how uh, important that relationship is between these two franchises. I, I would also echo uh, being able to be surrounded by some amazing people in the booth and just kind of, you know, adding on to what you said about some of those great guests that we had, I would need to definitely talk about uh, you know the experience of, of my dad being able to come and be honored for Hockey Fights Cancer Night at you know with the Indy Fuel, and I mean that was it was an emotional night. Um, you know, just kind of taking people in you know behind the scenes, it was uh, something that kind of hit it hit really close to home. Uh, and having gone through stage three colon cancer, which he did, and then through chemotherapy i mean to to be able to have him there see him you know be honored and then have the ability to honor him and 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 also interview him on air was a pretty special feeling and and, and asked some hard-hitting questions and tried to get a couple laughs out of him and um, and just be ourselves and, and that was uh, just a wonderful experience i know speaking in in terms of of me and how close i am with my father and and, and how the game of hockey really connects us both very, very deeply. And, and so I would certainly add to, to that experience. And of, of course, the great Jim Cornelison and, um, and, and Dave Boland, who is just the, an amazing guy. But and, and I think it's the the far reach that the Chicago Blackhawks organization has as far as making those people available to us. And you, you cannot say that for a lot of other franchises and organizations that allow their alumni allow their current employees to drive or get to wherever they need to get to or fly to a whole nother place and, and, and go and show up for an ECHL team and event and be honored that night. There's not a lot of, there's not a ton of teams that do that, but the Chicago Blackhawks are because they understand how important it is to connect with the fans. And I'll tell you what, you know, maybe there are never, you know, maybe there are some fans that, you know, some fans of the Indy fuel who, Never would have had the chance to meet Dave Bowen or meet Jim Cornelison and hear him sing or, uh, you know, meet some of the other great guests that we've had throughout the course of the season. And so, you know, first class for the Chicago Blackhawks to make those people available um, and extend them and share them throughout the whole fan base. Because we know the Blackhawk fans are not just in Chicago. They're in Indianapolis. They're all over the world. And so, like I said, making those guys uh available to the masses is very, very important. It's not just spreading the game, but for the love of the Blackhawks, for the Rockford Icehawks, as well as most importantly for the Indy Fuel. Well, before we wrap this up, uh, I first of all want to say thanks to you for uh, being my wingman for this past season. And hopefully we get a chance to do this again as uh, time goes on. But um the insight you provided each and every night uh, was fantastic. And I think you did an outstanding job of doing what a really good analyst does, and that's take complex parts of a game and explain them in ways that a novice or somebody who's just picking the game up can understand. And uh, that's not an easy thing to do. And you do a fantastic job of that. And I think that's what the best analysts do. And uh, number one, but number two, I think uh, 
We had a lot of fun uh, working together in the booth this year, and I hope that came across to our listeners because uh, it was a blast uh, working alongside you this year. And I want to thank you for joining me as uh, and you know being half of uh, what I hope our uh, listeners uh, enjoyed. What, but what was a fun and enjoyable night at the rink every single night uh, the Indy Fuel were home this season. Well, your words carry an immense amount of weight uh, with me, Andrew, and, and I, I really appreciate, you know, first and foremost, uh, everything that you've done for me, and uh, whether it be the pregame notes and, and kind of helping me get acclimated to what it's like to be a broadcaster. And you know, I'll tell you what, I I couldn't have asked for or, or handpicked a, a better, um, you know, first partner and first broadcast and play-by-play guy to have been paired with. Because of your preparedness uh, and your ability to just be very helpful all the time, and there was never an hour where you didn't answer a question that I had or or a request that I needed as far as a certain stat. And to me, I mean, that just speaks volumes to the person that you are. And so I thank you very much for everything that you've done. And and also, I just would love to take a moment just to thank you know some of the some of the people you know within the Indie Fuel organization. I know I mentioned their names earlier, but you know Jim Hallett and Larry McQuarrie, guys who really signed off and gave me this opportunity. I will be forever grateful for them. And, um, and, and that, and that then extends to, um, you know, the arena workers who I became very friendly with, you know, we, we saw each other a lot and, and there were some people that, you know, there that, uh, you know, made my life uh, uh, an even better one, just as a smile, a wave, a stop and, and just chat for five or six minutes. And, and then you think of the parking lot attendants and the office officials, just a, <laughs> a hilarious bunch of guys uh, that really made going to the rink uh, a little bit earlier worth it because you wanted to get there and talk to those guys. And a lot of those guys have been around the game for many, many years. Uh, so just being able to pick their brain was, was really amazing. And of course the, the players, the coaches, the trainers who were absolutely incredible for the players. And anytime I ever had a question, they were right there and, uh, and the big thanks goes to Mark Granda and Rachel O'Donnell as well, who were really our main lifelines as far as getting us what we needed, whether that's help because the ECHL TV feed went down or uh, we needed some stats or, or whatever it might be. They were right there for us. So just a huge thank you to the, to the Indy Fuel organization and, of course, the fans. Uh, we got so many tweets um, and people coming up to us after games on our way out the door saying, hey, good job. And, and that means a lot. I, I, I don't think people can understand that enough, that you know, your words of, of, of positivity and the compliments, but also the critiques, uh, you know, saying, hey, didn't really understand what you said here. Can you maybe elaborate on a little bit more? And that's why we're in this business, to help people understand why. So uh, above and beyond and, and all of that, Andrew, thank you for everything that you've done for me um, to give uh, my start in broadcasting really uh, uh, a great first step and uh, looking forward to uh, to next year already because before you know it, next year is going to be right here. Yeah, it's hard to believe, but the off season goes quickly and this summer is going to be an interesting one as we hope the NHL season gets started up and we can see uh, – the Chicago Blackhawks finish out their season and uh, maybe, well, not maybe, enjoy the Stanley Cup playoffs. Whenever that may be, that may be late in summer, uh, early in September. But certainly uh, want to thank all of our listeners and stay healthy 
and uh, we wish you all good health and uh, and hopefully we can get through this uh, this pandemic here very soon and and see everybody back in October at the rink is it's going to be uh, a, a really good season coming up for the Indy Fuel but it's uh, where I think we're already itching for hockey again but I think we're we've developed that perspective that life kind of gives you some time, which is, I think our health is most important. And, uh, certainly, uh, we need to do, take what steps we need to, to preserve that. But, uh, I can't wait until, uh, the 2020, 2020, 2021 season begins. And, um, it's going to be a lot of fun. And I know we're itching for hockey and, uh, we're itching for life as we knew it to return. But the one thing I cannot stress enough is that look at it this way is that we're trading in a month and a half of staying at home and social distancing. Uh, we're trading that in for many months and hopefully years to come of health. Absolutely. Uh, and, and, and so hopefully people can understand that and, and, and watch those old games and watch whatever, what's, what's on TV and, and try and keep their, uh, their time busy uh, until we get the next hockey season, because as you said, it'll be here before you know it. So wishing you all the best, Andrew. Thanks for your time. It's just been an honor and a pleasure uh, to be here with you today. And uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll be back, uh, back at the Indiana farmers call. See him sooner than later. Absolutely. Nick Olchek, Thanks for joining us on this edition of under the hood with the Indy fuel. My pleasure, Andrew. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us as well for Nick Olchek, I'm Andrew Smith. We'll see you at the rink. Thanks for going under the hood with the Indy Fuel. For more, keep visiting IndyFuelHockey.com.